0: Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present Who Killed, a podcast that provides a voice for the voiceless. Previously, on Who Killed the Atlantic City Four.
1: This fits the FBI definition of a serial killing. Without any disrespect to Mr. Olson, uh, he, he's not Machiavelli. okay? He's, he was simply answering their questions. I think that he presented to them an attractive target.
0: Kimberly Raffa was a 35-year-old former PTA mom who moved from Florida to Atlantic City. Tracy Ann Roberts, 23, was from Delaware and moved to Atlantic City for a job dancing. Barbara Breider was 42 and 19-year-old Molly Diltz, the youngest victim, arrived in Atlantic City just two weeks before she was killed.
1: These were ladies who had a particular lifestyle, a lifestyle that uh, caused them to want to live below the radar
0: there are now growing similarities between the bodies found on Long Island and the bodies found near Atlantic City back in 2006. Those were four prostitutes who you see here. They worked the Atlantic City boardwalk. They were all found murdered. Police have never identified a suspect in these murders, but they have more than one person of interest and consider the case active.
1: The question is, how many more and will they lead to a suspect? So far, there's not been the case.
0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Who Killed the Atlantic City Four? I am your host, Bill Huffman. And on this week's episode, I am joined by Nick from the wildly popular True Crime Garage podcast. We're going to discuss theories and suspects. And basically, he always has insight into these cases. So he is an excellent person to discuss Who Killed the Atlantic City Four? before we get into the case, let's take a quick recap. There have been very few suspects. All the victims' backgrounds involved drugs and prostitution. No law enforcement agency ever offered a reward for information leading to an arrest, a move that could have appealed to those most likely to see something, the drug users and prostitutes who spent their days and nights on the Pacific Avenue. The prime suspect was Terry Oleson, who at one point was placed under 24-hour surveillance. But he has given his DNA, and as I mentioned previously in Part 1, he has been, for the most part, cleared in the case. Now, Oleson's attorney believes detectives were so convinced that his client had committed the crime that they neglected to pursue other avenues. The first body found was Kim Raffo, 35, and that was on November 20th, 2006, three days before Thanksgiving. She was face down in a drainage ditch behind one of the seediest motels, the Golden Key Motel, in West Atlantic City. As I mentioned in part one, two women had the unfortunate experience of noticing her body while walking. The body was in a marshy dumping ground behind a strip of shady motels. The Golden Key was located just off of the Black Horse Pike near the eastbound Atlantic City Expressway, which we'll discuss later with Nick. Now, Rafa was clothed but shoeless, as was all the other victims. And just like all the other victims, her head was pointed east towards the Atlantic City skyline. And I only bring that up because they mention it in nearly every article that I have uh, read so basically the bodies of the four victims, two were able to be determined to have been asphyxiated and the other two were too decomposed to find a cause of death and the victims were Molly Jean Diltz Barbara Braider, and Tracy Ann Roberts now police believed the bodies had been placed there at different points in time but most likely within just a couple months. Now, forensic experts said that Raffo and Roberts had been in the ditch the shortest time, and they actually had been strangled. So, again, we were looking at a homicide. So, with that out of the way, and all those perfunctory bits of information, let's jump into my conversation with Nick and see how he feels about the case and whether or not he has any theories about who could have committed this crime. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Nick from True Crime Garage, how are we doing?
1: Great. Thank you for having me.
0: I do appreciate it once again. Uh, it's always a pleasure, and I'm sure the listeners are very happy to have you on as well. And, you know, this case is one of those cases that is just so bizarre because in I wanted to talk to you about it because of the fact that it was such a headliner back when it first happened that, and then it quickly kind of dissipated. And Mm -hmm. is it because of the fact these women are all sex workers or is it, I mean the case, I mean, what's your thoughts on the case? I know that like, we're kind of just jumping in the middle of it, but.
1: Well, it disappeared from the headlines because the case went nowhere. The investigation goes nowhere. There's no more bodies you know, all we're left with is questions. So at some point you, you get tired of questions, you want answers. And that's why it disappears from people's minds, from their thoughts and from the headlines themselves. This is one of those cases that's, this, it's more common to all of a sudden realize that there was a serial killer in the area. You know, we watch movies and so often it's like the the police are hunting a known serial killer. Most of the time the way that it works is they find a bunch of bodies and realize there's some creep out there that's murdering people.
0: Yeah, but very it, similar to what the Green River Killer. I mean they they didn't even know that
1: was going on. Right until the body started to well they found one and then they found like three more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the thing here with this case and with so with this one in particular the reason why I think that it has let's say stopped, is I believe that this guy is killing within a very specific hunting ground. The issue being that the prey are easy prey because they live high-risk lifestyles, but they're only easy prey because they don't know that they're being hunted. These are smart women. These are street smart women. These are probably very tough women that we're talking about. Once they are aware that they are being hunted, it's a whole different hunting ground and therefore the he didn't just move on because of the heat from the police and the investigation he also moved on because now it's going to be tougher for him to prey upon those same type of victims yeah
0: yeah i definitely think that the guy that committed the crimes was most likely the thing that's so weird about it is the fact that these women were dropped at different times. Now if they were all killed at one you know like it was a mass killing at one in one event then I I would think about it differently but the fact that they were kind of months apart, you know, it was almost sequential and you know the the way that the bodies were lined up there was some weird you know, they, they kept saying, like, all oh, the bodies are facing towards Atlantic City. And, like, I, I don't know how much to read into that, uh, that kind of stuff. But the drifter idea, I mean, the guy left. Yeah, okay, he can't kill there anymore. So where did he go? And did he just turn it off, meaning his serial killer mindset?
1: No, you- I don't think that he turned it off. I mean, we're talking about rapid succession here. We're talking about a two-month time period and you've killed four people. You don't turn that off. what, What I question here is, has he done this before, these four? Probably. Was there something in his life that pushed him into increasing this? Because what I think I see here is somebody who's got strangulation and sex are all one thing to this guy. They're all wrapped up into one thing. And that is his thing. And that will continue to be his thing. Again, he's moved on because now he can't, he can't hunt within those same grounds. And it's not just because of the police. Sex workers are, are tough individuals. They have to be tough because if they're not tough, they don't survive. And it's not from being killed by a, a serial killer. It's just the nature of the streets. So these are very tough people and once he is outed he can't hunt within that same area anymore. But he's going to continue to rely on this same type of victim because it's very easy to get them into a vehicle, it's very easy to get them to a motel room or to his home, anything of that that type of nature. He's going to continue to do that. It's just and that's one of the things that's weird about it. You mentioned like okay, he's going to take them to his home.
0: Well, that's where he obviously took them or took them someplace other than the Golden Key where their bodies were found because there was no, they never found a, like an actual crime scene other than where the bodies were located, which is a crime scene in itself. But they never found where these crimes were committed.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't expect to see much of a crime scene given what we know or what we can infer from the the newspapers and the reports that are out there. This is either he killed them at the Golden Key Motel or he killed them in a vehicle. And that's, that's the troubling thing too. A lot of people will go immediately, your mind goes to, well, yeah, of course, he, got, he walked into a no-tell motel, rented a room for 18 bucks a night or something dirt cheap, and strangles her in the room, drags her out back, leaves her in this drainage ditch. It almost works better if you park behind there in a, in a vehicle and kill in the vehicle. I mean, bodies aren't easy to move. Right. The other thing that I want to throw in here too is I feel like all right, let's take this let's take this down a a road rather than just jumping around here so we can we can walk hand in hand together, Bill, and and make discoveries along the way. Let's do it. When you are profiling a case you really have to profile everything you're profiling the offender the victims the area and the situations all of that is key to what's going on here all of that is key to who our offender is the area this is the what black horse pike area mm-hmm. okay what do we have there we have state route 168 state route 42 us route 322 us route 40 the
0: expressway is right there it 's just it 's a hop skip from the from the
1: hotel this area and you have tourism not too far from here, so this area in itself is a transient type area where you would you would expect to see a lot of people coming and going. This could be drifters, this could be truckers, this could be any number of people that are moving around on top of that. what do we have at the center of this Investigation, we have the Golden Key Motel. There too lends itself to the same type of person transient truckers, all kinds of people. And let's face it, some of the best scum in the area as well. So those are what you have to be looking for. And when we profile our victims, we see drug addicted sex workers. Okay. What is their world? Their world revolves around coming and going whenever they please, working the streets, finding drugs. It's survival. What I'm getting at is your offender here is somebody that can easily move in and out of this world. He can move in and out of this transient area. He can move in and out of this sex worker drug addiction world. Why can he move in and out of that world so easily? Because he somewhat fits in that world. This is somebody that has, he's familiar with drugs. He's a drug user. He's a drug dealer. He has access to drugs. And I say that because when we look at the last victim, Kimberly Raffo, age 35, what's very interesting about her is she's the one that's going to lead you to this guy. She's the one that you have the most information on because it's such a quick turnaround between the time that she, quote unquote, disappears and the time that her body is found. Right. She's your yellow brick road, your breadcrumb trail to the killer. What do we know about her? Well, we know that she was in some kind of, uh, I don't want to say relationship, but she was hanging out leading up to her disappearance with some doctor. They look into the doctor's background. They talk to the doctor, and it sounds to me like they've cleared this guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's the, there's only been one named suspect,
1: and he was definitely not a doctor. <laughs> so the doctor tells the police, I'm hanging out with her. She tells me she's leaving to go get drugs. Well, what does that tell you? The doctor has no drugs. The doctor has money. What is a sex worker out there doing? They're looking for money and they're looking for drugs and that's it. And that's all. They don't care about the customers or any of, you know, the Johns or anything like that. They're looking for money and they're looking for drugs.
0: Hi, podcast listeners, I'm Carol Costello, a former CNN anchor and national correspondent. This January, I'm launching a podcast about one of the first cases I ever covered as a journalist. It's one that stuck with me all of these years, the one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. It's a true crime series about an amazing woman named Phyllis Cottle, who defied torture and death and brought a fierce rage to the quest to find her attacker. Carol Costello presents Blind Rage. It's a production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at killerpodcast.com.
1: She's only hanging out with the doctor because he has money. She only leaves the person who has money to go get drugs because the doctor does not have drugs. I think drugs is your connection and your power that this offender has over the victims this is your way to lure them even into what they might consider to be a dangerous situation these are very street smart women yeah i was going to ask you do you do you think that even with the
0: knowledge that there was like you said he probably moved on to another area but during the time that these women were disappearing, they probably, the women on the street were aware that so-and-so wasn't there anymore. And do you think that the drugs would have been enough of a factor to just been like, screw it. I'm taking my chance.
1: Yes. And I, I, I go back to if they even knew that women were disappearing to begin with, this is such a quick period of time. We're talking the information I have shows about roughly two months from start to finish, that's not a lot of time, especially when we're dealing with drug addicts. Uh, and here's the other thing with drug drug addicts. Okay, almost all of them. What do we hear? T- you know what? Tomorrow, I'm gonna I'm gonna quit doing this shit. Next week, I'm gonna get it together. And I I know I've been saying this for the longest time, but next week, I'm gonna get it together. Don't be surprised if you don't see me out here on the streets here in a couple weeks, because I made a phone call yesterday to so. They're always getting it together. They rarely do, but they are always trying to get it together. Yeah, like
0: yeah, right. There's always a plan in place to make the next step and improve their lives, but they just got to have one last hit or one last night, and we know how that
1: goes. It just it's sort of a never-ending night. So if you and I, Bill, are hanging out on the streets together, uh, you know, and we're— Let's we're, hope we're
0: not in Atlantic
1: City because from my research— Wow, a lot of people die there. We're drug addicted. It we're not saying these people are bad people. This no, is, no,
0: that's not This, a, this, is, this is what happen. happens. This mm-hmm. is
1: this happens. It happens a million times over. It's it's unfortunate. Drugs are, are a horrible, horrible thing. And it's so easy to get hooked on a lot of these drugs, especially the ones when you look at the list with our four victims here. Mm-hmm. But let's say you and I are hanging out on the streets, we're addicted to drugs, and, and we've had some of the same conversations that I just said to you that, you know, next week I'm, I'm going to get it together. I've made a few phone calls. i got a place to stay, I blah, 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 and you don't see me, you're probably going to assume, hey, Nick finally got it together. Good for him. Good for him. Mm-hmm. I hope I don't see him back out here. So nobody's really missing. Nobody's really missing in this situation. You're hoping for the best. When you don't know that there's a serial killer operating in the area, what are these women afraid of? They're, they're street smart, but what they are worried about is being robbed, being raped, or being beat up. Of course, there's always a threat of being killed. There's a threat of being killed walking across the street. But that's not the conversations that they have. That's not what's on their minds. It's not until the bodies start turning up that that's what they worry about. The best way to locate this individual, the offender, would be to, you need to work and become friends with the, with the streets and with the sex workers. That's the only way to find this guy. There's going to be other women that saw this guy with the women that are unfortunately no longer with us. And the problem with working with sex workers is it's on the it's on law enforcement side. Not on the sex worker side. The street people don't trust law enforcement. Who can blame them? But there are ways and there are people and personalities within law enforcement that can make, that can tear down those walls and can say, look, we aren't out here to make a little bust on somebody turning tricks or somebody who's got drugs in their pocket. We're looking for a very, very dangerous man. We're looking for a man who's going to kill, 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 kill. That's who I am after. You know what unit I'm from? Homicide. I don't care about your drugs. I don't care about anything else that's going on. We're working together for your safety and for the safety of this community. It's definitely
0: not it's not their fault. I mean, it's drugs will do this. And we've seen it a million times. You've seen it in a million of the cases that you've covered or at least read about that once they get you. You know, get you. And like you said, I mean, that's such a good observation about having a plan in place and just not being able to pin down the fact that somebody's actually missing. Because, like you said, they're always, they're, they're like being, a, it's like they're at a party that is going to end that night. And you don't ever see your friends necessarily leave that party, but mm-hmm. you assume that they left and they got home safe and sound. It's kind of in that same vein. To simplify things. So I can see, I could totally see that being a case. You know, I made an offhanded remark about Atlantic City being, you know, very violent, but there, that is an extremely, you know, you get off the strip, it's, it's, I mean, where the Golden Key was located is really shady.
1: Well, and they were having problems at that motel, but also every one of the motels around the Golden Key. So it's not, you know, this, the Golden Key may be worse just because we know there were victims murdered victims found behind the establishment yeah that whole area that's look so we have former mayor jack glassy he is quoted as saying toward the end the golden key became home to crack addicts prostitutes and wackos when people hear the name west atlantic city that's what they think of and he's exactly right now they tore down the golden key motel in 2015 which which is a shame because i was looking for somewhere adventurous to vacation and i was trying to decide between egg harbor township and golden key motel baghdad it looks like baghdad it is but um i'll send you the
0: link for the article for the reporter who actually did do that and reported on it and it is quite an interesting story and i believe it's called my night in hell at the golden key
1: (laughs) what's really a shame is it sounds like the community had to buy the motel to shut it down and destroy it yeah and they paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's an expensive adventure, but you, you can destroy the building that doesn't clean anything up. It's mm-hmm. the element that's coming into that building that you're trying to stay away from. So Columbus, I'm from Columbus, Ohio, for those listening that don't know. In Columbus, Ohio, we had a similar problem with some of some of our little pockets especially like east side north side well actually now i think about it, it's all four sides but there were these hotels and motels that were filled with sex workers filled with drug addicts and filled with violent individuals and there was a lot of crime around these hotels and motels in these little pockets and columbus had a really interesting thing that concept that they came up with to clean this up and let's hear from this week's sponsors this week's
0: episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Let me tell you about Best Fiends. It's this great puzzle game you play right on your mobile phone. As a true crime podcaster, I spend a lot of time researching some pretty dark subjects, and sometimes I need to pick-me-up. So that's when I turn to Best Fiends. Since I obviously enjoy solving puzzles, Best Fiends offers me a new challenge every day. I must say it's a casual game that doesn't stress me out, and during these times, this is something we all need. One of the best parts about Best Fiends is whenever I open the game, there's always something new going on. Whether it's a new challenge, fun monthly event, or just new levels. I just passed level 2500, so clearly anyone can play. Moving through all of these puzzle levels is a truly mindful experience that I find relaxes me. Oh, and collecting all those different characters is another reason I turned to Best Fiends for a break. So if you're tired of the same old puzzle games, this game is for you. Best Fiends is way more than your average mobile puzzle game. The makers of Best Fiends have literally created a whole world right on your phone. And the music is awesome. It's bright and colorful and has great graphics. My favorite character is Temper. He may be small, but he is mighty. And he has really helped me through this journey. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on this game. So join me and millions of people who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. I've had to deal with my fair share of anxiety and depression in my life, and I'm happy to say that there is now an easy way to get help. Because if there is something that interferes with your happiness or is holding you back from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. You can now connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's convenient. Because it needs to be in our hectic lives. So, go get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. BetterHelp really is there for you. They have 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states. And guess what? If you aren't happy with your counselor for any reason, you can request a new one at any time. There are even apps available for your computer or smartphone. So whether you're suffering from anxiety, depression, anger, stress, relationship issues, sleeping, trauma, family conflicts, LGBT matters, grief, or self-esteem, they literally have a licensed professional counselor for you. And of course, everything you share is confidential. The best part is, it's a truly affordable option. Who Killed listeners get 10% off their first month with the discount code WHO. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com/who. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. Again, for 10%
1: off, go to betterhelp.com/who. All right, we're back. Because what what most people don't understand is that the owner of that motel, the owner of that hotel, they have no – most of the time, they have no intention of cleaning anything up. They don't care as long as rooms are sold. They don't care as long as there's a population – that need that it serves. And so when you have when you have an establishment that's unwilling to police itself, that's willing to allow laws to be broken within its four walls and on its grounds constantly, it's tough to it's tough to really control that situation. So what Columbus did was they changed the hotel and motel licensing. So you have to, you have to hold a, a license to be an owner of a hotel or a motel. And what they do now is you have to renew those every year instead of getting a license that would last you, let's say five years or 10 years. The reason being is after a year, when you come to renew your license again, we're going to go, okay, well, how many police calls have gone to your establishment? How many times have we arrested, uh, busted indoors for drugs and, and picked up offenders in your area? And you're, you're allowing this to happen. When we see this happening over and over and over again, we know you are allowing this to happen at your establishment. So guess what, Bill Huffman, your seedy hotel that you're running, you do not get to renew your license this year. Man. And then that building sits there empty with nobody coming in and no income going into Bill Huffman's pocket for a whole year while you pay taxes on it and the property just sits there declining. And then, then you can come back a year from then and you can file again and, and reapply for your license. And if your record is good, we will issue you your license and you're back up and running. You would be shocked at the success that that program has had here in Columbus. And I think that's something that really should be adopted everywhere. You know, it's, it's really, that's a very
0: good point. I've, I can even think about areas in Columbus, even when I've come down to see you, um, areas where I remember there being kind of shady motels just off the highway off of 71 and Mm -hmm. you just you know there's there's newer there's better and what are these doing there they're basically just crime havens and it is good that there is something in place to you know kind of control that uh we actually had something similar i mean just in the city to the north no to the the north the south of me um to the north is lake erie that's not gonna work uh (laughs) i don't want to name the city but you know they had a bunch of A bunch of hotels and, or no tell motels on their basically strip that they had to figure out how to get rid of. And I'm not exactly sure what they, you know, what route they went to get there, but I know that they've done that in a number of areas in the city of Cleveland. So I think there is sort of a push to limit that type of activity. Just to give you a little idea about that area, I was working at a liquor store at the time, and we were one of the few hotels that still live, no-tell, motel, whatever it was, existed next door to this liquor store mm-hmm. needless to say you can imagine we had a very eclectic clientele it's not there anymore luckily so I had some personal experience with just dealing with just that type of i mean it's it's a really it's a bad problem now don't get me wrong I'm also not saying that everybody should be able to afford a hundred dollar night motel and not saying that there's anything wrong with that it's just the
1: no but the reason why the place is a problem is not because it's cheap it's a problem because People are going there not for the reasons that somebody goes to a hotel that costs a hundred dollars a night. Most of them have very little intention of staying there for a night. If they are staying there for a night, it's because they want to get blacked out, drunk, or drugged up and shoot up. And again, the the issue is we all know of these types of hotels or motels, and we go, "Oh, that place sucks," or "I wish they wouldn't let so many dirt bags in there." But in reality, the place sucks because the owner says, "You know what? This is my clientele." And I'm making money, so I'm fine with it.
0: Yeah, it was exactly. I, they, was they're
1: they condoning the bad behavior that's going on there because it puts money in their pockets. And until you change the owner, you're not going to change the, the people going in there or the activities going on in and around that property.
0: And I think if you look at the area where it is, where they tore down the golden key, I mean, it's not like they tore it down and put something like, like a shopping mall or something else. It's just a big empty lot now. Right, I yeah. mean, it's like, okay, it's gone, which is great because there's no other place to stay but man i mean i think that just whole that the whole area is just so depressed it's it's sad
1: well and i'll tell you what i want to give that former mayor jake glassy a little bit of credit too because this is not a former mayor that lives in some fancy neighborhood that's just that's just condemning an area from my understanding this guy lives like blocks away so he's he's living it you know he's living in it and he it seems like he's led the the charge against and for cleaning up that area so
0: anytime you have uh somebody who's willing to take that on because i mean you do have to deal with a a lot of owners that basically are gonna say hey you're trying to get rid of a place for low-income people and it's not what the goal is the goal is to clean up the area to Mm -hmm. a degree where people feel safe to be staying the title was and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play,
1: Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do?